0: Hey, welcome to FQ, where we talk about faith, family, and friends. I'm Jacob. And I'm George. And welcome to this week's podcast. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. It is just me, no George this week. Uh, Wednesday, November 17th. Uh, this week we have an awesome, amazing guest. Uh, it's somebody I really looked up to in Bible college, and even now. Um, it is Keith Neighbor. Uh, he is an awesome person that um I really look up to and I really appreciate him and um and his wisdom and just all that. And so, hey Keith, how's it going? I know we they talked for like an worried. hour, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, we had a pre-show. Yeah, we had a pre-show that nobody will ever know. Um That's right. <laughs> so, uh if we just want to jump in, what's what's your story? Like, did you grow up with two parents? Did you not uh were you always in
1: oklahoma
2: that kind of well thing. i i grew up um in the middle of nowhere in west central minnesota in a little town called hermit um there were 600 people in the town um we uh it we lived five miles out of town my dad owned a body shop my mom worked at the school so i could never do anything because my dad ate lunch and at the little cafe in town and all the men were a bunch of gossips <laughs> and my mom worked at the school and she heard everything that was going on um all over cuz she worked in the library and so I just never really did anything and you know we were 40 miles from everything um we had three tv stations for if yes. the wind blew the right direction
1: <laughs> and
2: uh, <laughs> I mean, literally, we just, you know, we were, were just out there, you know, in farm country. And um, when I was 15, 16 years old, um, some guy from another town had some friends in the town that I lived in, and they started a Bible study. Oh, cool. And my buddy, who knew the guy, asked me if I'd come, and I still remember when we got all done. They asked me if I was, you know, you know, if I needed Jesus and, you know, all of these other things. And I'm like, yeah, I grew up going to church and, you know, um, as somebody once told me in their testimony, they were a good kid that was going to hell because they didn't have Jesus in their heart. Yeah, I never did. I wasn't. I mean. Prior to being saved, I never did anything. After being saved, I never, I was never a drinker, never a partier, never any of that. I just, you know, like I said, I was just, you know, just a kid, you know, just a, you know, kind of that guy, just, you know, (laughs) whatever, you know, and uh, they finally convinced me that I needed Jesus. So I got saved when I was 16 years old and for the most part have served the Lord since then awesome and uh so that's you know i mean i've been saved for oh my gosh i don't even want to tell you because it (laughs) makes me sound like i'm really old but i've been saved for like you know my gosh 38 years yeah (laughs) you know kind of a thing and uh but it's you know it's I, after I graduated from high school, I ended up with a bunch of... Uh, the worst thing in the world that happened is that moved in with a bunch of people that were going to a Bible college, to be honest with you. <laughs> what? And, by, uh, was, they,
0: was that either, going to Rhema or was that going to somewhere no, else? No, that
2: was uh, after I graduated from high school. I didn't go to Rayma until after I was married. That was oh. in 94 when we oh, moved wow. down to Oklahoma. Oh, so, okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I had roommates that were going to a Bible college <laughs> that were... It was not good for my walk with the Lord. So <laughs> I had a little, I had a couple years of kind of a rough spot there, but we've, we we've we muscled through that and got things back together. And, but, you know, it was just, like I said, I, I grew up with both my parents, um, who loved us. And my mom and dad were married for 57 years. My dad just passed away on June 11th of this last summer. Oh, wow. Um, uh, that was my birthday present. Three days after my birthday, one day after my brother, my dad died on us. It was terrible. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> um, it was merciful, but it was, you know, but, you know, that he went out the way he went out because it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. And he had a good life. He was 80 years old. So love him, man. He's awesome. Awesome yeah. dad. And uh, I, had, I had great parents, you yeah. know. And uh, I don't have, you know, like, you know, a crazy draft, story. Yeah. This, I don't have some crazy, you know, I was an axe murderer, a drug <laughs> addict that was out on the streets living in a dumpster or, you know, anything <laughs> like I don't have that story. I don't at all. You know, I mean, it's one of those where, um, you know, I just kind of, I, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I no. won't tell you that I'm not, I don't make waves. I do that. <laughs> I'm an antagonist, but I just was never that guy that was out there living that crazy life like that. Yeah. It was never a desire for my dad was an alcoholic when I grew up. So, um, drinking lost its luster for me when I was little, little, like eight, you know, yeah. I realized oh, that's not good. So I've never been a drinker, anything like that, drugs, whatever. Just never been down with it. Cause I saw what it did to my dad. Yeah. You know? I, so, I totally I get just,
0: that. Like my you know, brother my brother did a lot of things that when I was a teenager after him I was like I ain't doing that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's so you know, and my dad talked to us about it. Yeah. You know? I worked for my dad growing up at his body shop, which was miserable. I hated working for my dad. He was terrible to work for.
1: And uh <laughs> but
2: he's a perfectionist, so nothing ever made him happy. So you were he was never happy with anything. So yeah. um but you know he used to talk to me about that stuff and i'd ask questions about it occasionally and uh you know it's just one of those where you know i just remember how miserable it was you know because he drank all of our money away you Yeah. Know? and i didn't ever want to do that to my family
0: that makes sense so, yeah and then so you went to did you go to the bible college that your friends were going to or did you go to no Ima? i went to cooking
2: Oh really? That's why you, so you make so much.
0: You make so many were good going foods.
2: Bible school, so, um, but yeah.
0: I mean, you were you're the first person that, like, I remember is X amount of years ago, and I saw you brining your your turkeys, and I asked yeah. so many questions. I was like, "What yeah. is what is this magic he's making <laughs> there?" Because your turkeys <laughs> looked excellent, and I was like, "What yeah. is he doing?" And so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I'd get around to the kitchen. I went. I was. Uh, I graduated out of chef school. Never worked at a restaurant cooking because those people are crazy, <laughs> and I just could not never care enough about your food to get that wound up like those guys were. Yeah. I went to school with some unbelievably talented people. Um, so when I graduated out of the school, I actually worked at the tech school where I was at. Yeah. Um, you know, worked on the they had a you know, a line where you could go through kind of cafeteria. And I was a, I was a union fry cook. I was in the union, food workers union. Nice. And, uh, and then I went from there and I was a food buyer at a little family, uh, at a, at a deli. Yeah. Had three restaurants. And then I, from there, I went to work for target at their corporate headquarters. And I did that for a while. And then we moved to Oklahoma. Nice. Uh, to go to Bible school to Rhema.
0: How did you hear about Rhema? like I don't e I still don't remember. I think I found a book of yeah. Kenneth Hagen and that's the only reason why I was like, what is this? And then somehow it led me to a rabbit trail to Rhema, and that's actually how I ended up at Rhema.
2: We um Jody and I got married in nineteen ninety and we uh, she worked with the lady that went to Living Word Christian Center. Matt Hammond was a pastor, still is a pastor, um, in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, suburb of of Minneapolis, right near where we lived. And we wanted to go to church somewhere, and we wanted to be involved with the youth. And I have no idea why we (laughs) did, but we did. And um, so this lady said, well, come to our church. We're always looking for people. Uh, To help out. So we went. And uh, I rededicated my life to the Lord at the first service that we went to. Yeah. So I responded to the altar call as somebody that was basically candidating to be a volunteer. (laughs) (laughs) It was an impressive start. (laughs) (laughs) But they loved everybody so much. And... So we started volunteering, and man, we met the greatest people there. They just took us in, and we became great friends with all of these people. And one of the, um, two of the couples that went were there. Um, uh, they came down to Rama. Yeah. And uh, one of them we were really close to, and when Jim and and Lisa left for two years, came back, and they talked about it all the time, and uh, I I never really wanted to go, and uh, I don't know, man, after, uh, that's how we heard about it, that and uh, uh, Pastor Mac talked about, you know, Rayma and Brother Hagin and stuff all the time. Yeah. But I didn't. (laughs) you know i i never as i told somebody i still remember i did christmas lights when i started working at Rayma and uh hanging christmas lights because of they've got a a massive 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 uh light display that they put up millions of lights yeah and uh did you do that too yeah (laughs) yeah
0: i we were the we were like you guys like the people before us hit a million something and we're the first yeah. ones to hit 2 million something. Yep. And so I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure so, they're probably at like 3 million or more now at this yeah, point. Yeah, I don't
2: know. There's a lot of lights up there, man. Uh, but I still remember we were in the shop getting stuff together. It was before, you know, we we're kind of getting everything prepped before we started putting stuff up. And, man, there's this guy on the tape, you know, he's we put a tape in, teaching tape kind of thing in. And I looked over to him like, man, who is this? This guy is really good. Yeah. And they all looked at me like, You're joking, right? And I'm like No. They're like, You really don't know who this is? And I said, <laughs> I have no idea. And it was Brother Hagen, of course. <laughs> <you
0: know. laughs> That's so funny. So
2: then they, they were wondering whether I was saved or not, which I got asked <laughs> that a lot when I was with those guys. So they're um, like they were every day Can I can I,
0: I can I save you? Can I can I lead you to <laughs> you're like i am already there
2: (laughs) but you know and i've read part of some of his books and stuff but i heard about it from my friends and honestly jake the way that we ended up down there my wife and i were (laughs) out driving i i I hated my job i was just so unhappy yeah and uh i'd always I, i actually what i really wanted to be was a physical therapist but i was so bad I hated <laughs> school growing up I hated it and my grades were so poor I could have never made it in there they would have never taken me
3: Yeah.
2: and uh, we were out driving around and Joe, I, I, there, I, I, I told people I would never go to Rayna and um, we were driving around and she looked at me and said I will do anything to help you be happy and she goes, what do you want to do? And I blurted out, I want to go to Rayma, And she looked at me and I looked at her and said, <laughs> what? <laughs> because that's not what I wanted to say. What I What I meant to say was, I want to go to school to be a physical therapist. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what she thought I was going to say. And that's yeah. not what I said. So um, that was in like the end of August and we actually applied and they wouldn't let us go because they said it wasn't enough time. So that was 1993. So we knew we were going to go to Rhema for a full year before we ever got there. Oh, wow. So, which was really kind of weird, but we, we knew that. And, uh, but that's how we ended up down there. Yeah. You know, on that, that's how we heard about Rhema, but you know, Cause it's kind of funny because before we went to Rayma I told everybody I'd never work at Rayma after we, um, and I would never work with junior hires. And, uh, and then after I got to Rayma I said I would never work at Rayma. <laughs> and I ended up going to Rayma, working at Rayma as their junior high youth pastor for 16 years. So God's got a great sense of humor. <laughs>
0: I remember when I toured Rayma and Oral Roberts and I go, Oh, I'm definitely going to Oral Roberts Like That's yeah. guaranteed. And I go, because Rayma's full of old people. Because every yeah. video I saw that Rayma had was very old school. And I was like, there's a bunch of old yeah. people. And yeah. and then uh, I purposely went against the statistics and was like, I'm not marrying anybody at Rayma. I'm not going to be one of those guys. Because everybody's like, oh, you're going to find somebody. But I really felt God impressed me to be like, hey, don't date anybody your first year. Cause I guarantee I would have been that guy. (laughs) So I'm like, uh, I did it my first year, went back home with my best friend, Andrew. And then, um, I met my wife here or not here there in New Mexico. And I was like the rest, the rest is history from there. But, um, but so as a youth pastor, what, what was like your favorite things as a youth pastor that you did? Um, and it could be many, I don't care.
2: (laughs) Um Honestly, my favorite thing as a pastor in general was building a team of people to, uh, of volunteers to work with and developing people. That was my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, I was a huge team building guy. Before it was popular, and before people were writing books about it, and all of <laughs> yeah. those things, that's what I was good at. Yeah. Um, so i i I had an unbelievable volunteer team, and uh, uh, that that were just completely sold out. Yeah, all of them. And, uh, and part of the reason, you know, for, so that was one of my favorites. And then I, that was really what I was really good at was that, um, my favorite thing is just a youth pastor, um, was fall retreat or summer camp. I, I just absolutely love camps and retreats. <laughs> um, but I, it, cause they were just so much fun and you saw kids lives change so much and you got to know them so well and it was just i don't know it was a blast i I had so much fun doing that
0: and how did you how did you stay because i know that there's some youth pastors and pastors that listen to this podcast how did you stay like fool yourself and like following god and not just hey i'm just reading my bible this week to get a sermon kind of thing how 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 did you handle um, that? And I know everybody kind of does that every once in a while. Where you're like, "Oh man, I got in a funk," <laughs> and I was just yeah reading the everybody Bible for does. that. Yeah,
2: a, you'd be a liar if you said you didn't. <laughs> um, you know, in all honesty, I have really good friends. Yeah, um, and I worked with my best friend in Brent. Yeah, and um, I I I have a great wife who will call me on my crap and. I, I have friends that will do the same thing. Yeah. And that held you, that held me accountable and asked hard questions. But I let them ask hard questions. Yeah. And I, so that was, um, I had people that were, that I was accountable to.
1: Yeah. And to
2: be honest with you, if I was just accountable to myself, I don't know that it would have gone that well. Yeah, you know, true. <laughs> um, but I had people that would that would hold me accountable, and um, you know, like I said, you know, we had a lot of volunteers. You know, I had like just with the junior high. I mean, there were times I had fifty adult volunteers that volunteered with us, and it's all because of the school that we had. You know, the Bible college, but yeah. you know, we were you know, and and you know, we had people. Everybody recruited their friends to come volunteer because we had so much fun. You know,
0: that's, that's actually how I ended up there was because of Dwight, which you mentioned is, is what your good friends, me and him were, I was on the light crew and for whatever reason, when we were first starting out, um, he, they were like, Hey, uh, we, he needs some help. And I was like, I'll help him. That's fine. And so me and Dwight went around and I think either I pushed him around for a little bit and then he pushed me around a little bit and we're changing out lights, like the fluorescent lights all through there. And uh, yep. me and him got talking and he was like, uh, he's like, yeah, me and, me and uh, the youth pastors are pretty tight and this place is pretty awesome. And I'm like, man, you're an electrician. How's that? And we just started talking about it. He goes, hey, you should come out. And he's the reason why I even went to volunteer in, in the youth group at all.
2: <laughs> yeah. Dwight came. Dwight and I have a, an interesting friendship story because he came and spoke at a fall retreat for me. And it's really weird how the Lord knit our hearts together. And I'm using that phrase because of Jonathan and David. Yeah. Because it was just really strange. Um, He and I are a lot alike in a lot of ways. Some ways we're very different, but we're very, we think a lot alike in things. And we have, we have a lot of very similar interests. So he came in and did this camp for us. And it was, you know, like I fell in, fell in love with who he was. You know what I mean? Yeah. With him as a person. And you know how you meet somebody and it's like, I want to be friends with that guy. Yeah. I'd like to be friends with them. Well, I was that way, and it's not like, you know, I, I didn't want to, I don't know, overwhelm him. Yeah. <laughs> but he was thinking the same thing. And we got done with, with, with retreat. He came back. He did our Sunday night service for us. And we were going out to eat, and we were driving down. You'll know where we were at. We are driving down 71st Street, and we came oh, yeah. to the light at 71st and Mingo. <laughs> And we've been talking and he's like, man, I don't know how to say this. So I wrote you a letter. And I said, "We," and I didn't know, you know, because I wanted to talk about this. Yeah. And he did too, but neither one of us wanted to be like that guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, so I just kind of started blurting some stuff out about Jonathan and David. And I feel like, and he's like, That's really weird because he had written down the same thing that I was talking about. (laughs) And, uh, he and I have been friends ever since then.
0: That's awesome.
2: And, you know, he's in Taipei, Taiwan, you know, right now teaching people how to speak English, you know, missionary over there. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, you know, like I said, I, you know, as far as youth ministry stuff goes, um, I, I had the greatest job in the world. You know, I, yeah. I was an adult that had to go to, you know, Six Flags and go to a camp and go do retreats and go bowling and go to arcades and, you know, I mean, yeah. doing all of this stuff and everybody else is like, like, what are you, 12? <laughs> you know, I work with 12 girls. <laughs> you know. You're like,
0: that's it was fun.
2: It I had the greatest <laughs> job in the world. Brit and I used to sit around and... It would be it would be once every three weeks or so. One of us would be sitting around in my office and when we were doing something and we would be one of us would look at the other one and say, I can't believe that we get paid to do this. I just yeah. cannot believe that they pay us to do this because we have the greatest jobs in the world. Yeah. It's just so much fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. All right, here's here's the tough question that you already knew is coming. What, yeah what was the hardest thing about being a youth pastor including the one story that i asked you about
2: okay so
0: and if there's more big than I'm that,
2: asking yeah. this question because he wants to make me cry but i'm, I'm, I'm not, not sure.
0: trying to make him cry
2: but you are a liar <laughs> and uh, um the, the hardest thing is having teenagers die and yeah. um, we had a, we had a lot of teenagers die over the years And we had one, the hardest thing that ever happened for us was we did a ski trip out in Breckenridge, Colorado, and uh, we had a girl who died while we were there. She had an accident, and she died. And that was the most devastating thing in ministry that ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, On so many levels that it's hard to describe unless unless you've been through it. And for all of you that are pastors or youth pastors that are out there, I pray that you never experience it because it brings in so much self-doubt in what you're doing and so much guilt that, it's overwhelming because when all of this happened, um, she was going down a hill, going down the mountain. She got going too fast. She got scared and didn't want to fall down. And she ended up missing a turn and going into the trees. So, we we got her. They life flighted her to a hospital in Denver. Brent, who I worked with, my my best friend, um, he and his wife were there. They they went into Denver, and I kept all of the teenagers at the at the resort where we were at. And we decided we needed to go home early, which we did need to go home early because that's where our support was at, yeah. not there. And on the way home, Brent would be, would call me and say, I need you guys to pray that her body temperature rises. Okay. Well, the first one was swelling on the brain needed to go down. And, you know, he, he's, you know, so he calls me. So I get everybody, we pray and he said you'd go in the room and it would be at a number and then you'd walk out. And you'd come back in, you know, 15 minutes later, and it would be down a couple of points. And I mean, it just, he said it just went down, you know, steady. And then it got to the place where the doctor said, we need her, we need this, this pressure to be at this. Okay. And then he called and said, um, we need her heart rate to, or her body temperature to increase. So it's got to come up to this number. So we pray and her body temperature increases. And then he called and said, they're going to do a test and they're going to take her off of the ventilator and see whether she's converting oxygen and uh, carbon dioxide. It's It's a base function of your brain. If there's any brain activity, your body does it automatically. Yeah. So they took her off and it didn't. So she was, she was brain dead at that point. And it was really hard because this was going on. We were driving through the night and we were between, um, we were on the turnpike South of Salina, Kansas. When I told everybody that she had died, we actually pulled the bus over alongside the road. Um, I was one of the drivers, and we had another guy that worked at the ministry named Mike, who's absolutely spectacular and was got thrown into a situation that he didn't deserve to get thrown into just with everything that was going on.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but man, he was a man, he was a warrior through the whole thing for me. And, uh, he woke up in the middle of the night because I was driving the bus and said, are you okay? And I said, I'll be okay. And uh, he never asked me if Claire died, but he knew what had happened. And he just leaned forward and said, you tell me what you need and that's what I'm going to do. Do you want me to drive? And I said, no. And he goes, when are you going to say something? And I said, um, when the sun comes up, you know, when it gets to be morning, all when everybody kind of starts waking up and, you know, moving around on the bus a little bit, which everybody was kind of moving around anyway. Yeah. And, uh, so we pulled over on the, on the side of the road, um, between Salina and I think, I don't know where, wherever we turn in Oklahoma to get heading over towards Stillwater And, uh, you know, we pulled over and told everybody and everybody is kind of freaking out about it. And they're like, you know, why? And, you know, asking all of these hard questions and God is very wise. And if you'll listen, he'll give you wise answers. Yeah. And, um, and I don't mean that in a cliche way. I mean that for real, because, I'm on a bus full of teenagers who are ready to go to war for somebody and pray them back to life, you know? Yeah. And everybody's asking all of these questions. And I know this is God because I'm not that smart and I'm not that wise, but everything that we could pray for, we got. Yeah. Until it came to a question of will. And, her mom and dad sat down at the edge of her bed, which I came to find out after we got home when Brent and I were talking and they went in and said, she was 16 years old and they, her mom and dad told her, you, you have a choice to make. We are not going to keep you here. We have that right as parents, but we're not going to do that. We, it's your choice. If you want to, if you want to live or die, so to speak, If you want to be here. Or you want to go to heaven." Yeah. And, uh, she chose heaven. Yeah. And this is what I know. Every time you ever hear a story from anybody that has died and seen the other side, they're all mad they had to come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you it's know so what true. I mean? Yeah. They're a little salty about that. It's like, this is the greatest place in book ever, like, yeah. in the universe. And I got kicked out. yeah God wouldn't let me in he said I wasn't done here you know yeah and so it was um hands down the hardest thing because it it was just you know we we officially did the worst youth event in the history of rhema bible church when we were there yeah and I told one of the associate pastors that who's just the his name is Bill Ray, Pastor Ray, Pastor Bill. Oh,
1: he's hilarious. He's
2: just what he is just a genuinely nice, kind person, and he's so smart and wise. Yeah. And he looks at me, it's just it's with all the sincerity of the world says, Now, Keith, we both know that's not true. And I looked at him and I said, Bill. We had a teenager die on this trip. I didn't bring everybody home. I failed to bring somebody's baby home. Yeah. Can you tell me what was a worst event in the history of this church? Because this is the only one of those that I know of. And Bill looked at me and said, Oh. Um, and I, I caught him for a moment at a loss for words and then Bill's very smooth and he comes back and says, well, I don't think we should be so hard on ourselves about it. And I, for me, um, if, if you know me and you've been around me, I'm very, I, I, I I'm, I joke around a lot. I'm, I'm, Probably the most sarcastic person you'll have ever met. Um, I I really work on that. I'm not near as sarcastic as I was, but I still am. And uh, um, so if you were around me a lot, you know, people think that you know I just was, you know, maybe a little reckless or you know just didn't put a lot of thought into stuff. But the reality is, is I'm I'm a super hardcore planner, and especially when it comes to teenagers and stuff, when we would do things, you know, as I, as I taught when I was in the, you know, one of the instructors in the Bible college, um, you know, when the light's red, we stop. And when the light's green, we can walk, but we cross at the crosswalk, not the middle of the street. And I, you know, people would get mad at me because, you know, like when we would go to camps and stuff, we didn't, I didn't let people pull pranks and when we, when there were other things that we were doing, you know, people would get mad at me about that, but I, I was just super careful when it came to your kid, your baby. And I had determined in the middle of the night after when I'm driving the bus, you know, I said, I don't know, there's 30 people or so on the bus and everybody's asleep but me for the most, but I'm sure there are people awake and they're just being kind and letting me be by myself. But I had a lot, I had a lot of think time there by myself and, um, I, uh, I decided I was going to go through the funeral for her. And then I was done and I was never going to work with teenagers again. Um, and, I never talked about that a lot to anybody Yeah, because, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. We had to get her back from Denver, get her here. Funeral had to be planned, all of those things. And, you know, we did all of that. And it, uh, it was just hard, really hard. And after the funeral was all over and this is, I mean, I'm not kidding, there's probably 3,500, 4,000 people in Sunday morning service. Yeah. And Pastor Hagen stands up and tells everybody how fortunate they are to have Keith's neighbor and his wife Jody and Brent Bailey and his wife Jody As their youth pastors in this church. Which. We just had a girl die on a ski trip. Yeah. And he went on to talk about how well we handled ourselves. Handled the situation. Took care of everybody. Dotted the I's, crossed the T's, so to speak. And everybody in the church stood up and clapped for us, which was really super emotional, number one, if you've never had that (laughs) happen before, where you had this unbelievably tragic event and the outpouring of love for you. Because when we pulled into the parking lot with the bus, all the parents were waiting and nobody talked to me not one person talked to me i was invisible to them yeah nobody asked if i was okay nobody checked on me nothing and everything got unloaded and everybody was gone in i mean it what seemed to be a minute but it was probably no more than fifteen, maybe twenty. Yeah. And the bus I pulled my stuff out and throw it in my car and I've got the key for my office and I unlock the building and go in. And I sat down in my office and just absolutely melted. I was a mess. Yeah. Absolute mess. And I didn't know what to do. You know, and you go from that moment to all of these people standing up and basically giving you a standing ovation. Yeah. And people are coming up and hugging us and telling us how much they love us. And cause I was quitting on Monday. Yeah. Pastor didn't know that, but I was going to quit. I was done. Yeah. It was over for me. Um, And then that, and and I'll tell you, Pastor Hagen called me and Brent every day to check on us to make sure we were okay. Um, When service was over that Sunday, we everybody went to doors to shake hands, which we did, which was really hard. Yeah. because everybody wanted to hug me and I don't like touching people and then all these people <laughs> want to hug me Yeah, um, but it was needed so I tolerated it at that point but um, they uh, when we went back to the kind of the speaker's room um, before everybody left he grabbed us me and Brent and our wives and said you guys need to go away for a little while and just go away i don't care where you go just take a few days we're paying you for it not vacation time you guys just need to go away so we all went to dallas and the first couple of days that was no fun wanted it to be fun. Britt wanted it to be fun. Our wives wanted it to be fun. (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't any fun. And I think we left after service on, we did service on Wednesday and we left right after service and drove to Dallas. And we were going to stay until Saturday and come home. And somewhere we checked out of the hotel and somewhere along the line, the church paid for all of it, paid for the hotel, Gave us some money to buy food. You know, it was great. That's awesome. And uh, we checked out of the hotel on Saturday, and we were out driving around. And uh, Brent looked at me and said, I'm not ready to go back. And I said, I'm not either. So we called Craig, who was Hagan, who was our department head, and uh, said, we're not coming back. We're going to miss tomorrow's service. And you never miss Sunday services. You didn't miss. And Craig's like, no problem. Um, uh, what, what do you guys want to do for service on Sunday night? I said, can we cancel it? And he said, yep. So they did. And we came home on Monday.
3: Yeah. You know,
2: <laughs> and nobody said anything about it. But um, that, that event affected, it changed me yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, some good and some not good um i'm 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 an internalizer which isn't good
3: <laughs> yeah. um
2: and uh we had a a lady that worked on staff who was a like a therapist she was a like licensed professional not like you know oh hey i'm a therapist no, yeah she went <laughs> school actually had the, the diploma and the degree for it and She was really good, and I called her. She was moving. She'd worked at Rayma, and then uh, her husband got a job back in Minnesota, where they were from, and they were moving. And I called Monique and said, "Um, can I talk to you? And she's like, yeah, what's going on? And I said, I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. And she said, where are you? And I said, I'm in my office. And she said, I will be right there. And she, I I don't, I don't know where they live, but she got to my house or to my, my office really, really quick. And she came in and I'd never, I'd never been to a counselor or anything like that before. So I never really, I didn't really know what to expect with it. I just, for whatever reason, knew she was going to help me. Yeah. And, And I'm telling this part of the story because in the Christian world, We look at mental things as weakness. Yeah. We look at depression as weakness. Um, We look at not being able to cope with things as weakness. Um, You know, we just, you know, anxiety as weakness. We, We just look at all of it that way. You can have cancer and everybody will celebrate it with you. Uh, You're depressed, and everybody's like, dude, dude, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and you should read and pray more, you know? (laughs) Get over it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's going to make me happy right now? It's punching you in the throat. (laughs) That'll be my joy, you know? (laughs) And uh, so Monique shows up in my office, and, you know, like I said, this is, I I don't even know how long after it was that it happened. They were literally loading the moving van and were leaving that afternoon. And she spent two and a half hours, the best two and a half hours at that point of of the of my life yeah. with me and helped me talk through this. Get me some help that I needed. And put me back on the right track because I was so overwhelmed with grief and guilt over what happened that I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I was back to wanting to quit again. And she was able to I don't know. It was miraculous what she was able to do for me. And uh, I don't, this is the part of the story I don't tell people um, because it was so frowned upon. Um, She got me to a doctor and I got on antidepressants for a while. And uh, because I didn't, I couldn't function at all. Yeah. It just was, it was overwhelming and it was affecting every area of my life. Yeah. And, uh, and, and like I said, just the guilt of that happening. And it, it, it's not like this, it, this happened to, you know, some family that you never see. This happened to a family that was super involved in the church and they were friends with, some close friends of ours, and we were around them at events, family type events, on a regular basis. Yeah, and uh, so it was just really hard because uh, I couldn't believe I—I was—I I don't know what the word is. Uh, felt guilty. I don't know. I think that's the word. I think it was guilt that they weren't mad at me. They never blamed me. They never blamed Brent. They never blamed any of us. They never blamed the church. And uh, at least openly to any of us. I have no idea what went on in their house. But um, I still talk to them to this day. Yeah. You know? And uh, I had a long conversation with them uh, one day. And it wasn't planned. We just kind of ran into each other and we just started talking and I apologized and they never said, Oh, you don't need to say that or, or anything like that. They never said you need to say that. They just let me get it all out there. Yeah. And I think, it was very therapeutic for everybody. I hope it was for them. It was for me. Yeah. And uh, and and we've had small conversations about it after that. Not none recently. And it's been a lot of years ago. But that was the the worst possible thing to happen. And I when I was in the training, when I was, you know, when I was at the, at the you know, at, at Raymond, the, the college, Bible college, you know, and we teach the youth class, I would spend one class talking about this. And I told everybody, I can't emotionally do this for more than one day. Yeah. Because when I get done doing this, all I want to do is go home and cry all afternoon. And it was always a third hour class. So, was dismissed after that and I told everybody if I go long you can when the bell rings you can leave or when they you know when we're done you can leave yeah and if you want to stay you can stay but I'm not talking about this again because it's too hard and I did it every year yeah um because people think that this stuff will never happen to them yeah um we had a lot of kids die, not on, on trips, but we had kids die and, you know, just crazy things, you know, accidents uh, that had happened and things that took place. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of funerals, you know, and uh, over the years and it was just hard and uh you know we had a kid die of cancer we had a kid die in a motorcycle wreck we had a kid die longboarding we had a kid die um you know i mean it's just you know some of them they didn't know what happened to them
1: yeah
2: and uh i we had you know like i said i just you know over the years and, and people just don't think that's ever going to happen and when it does happen they don't know who to talk to because it just doesn't happen, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, seriously, Jake. You've talked to a lot of people. How many other youth pastors have you talked to that had a kid die on a trip?
1: No, they're out no, there. No. Yeah.
2: But I'm a one percenter. Yeah. On in that in that respect. Yeah. You know, and so I I I would tell those stories because I wanted people to know. That if something tragic happened, they had somebody who they could call who had something tragic happen. Yeah. Because I'm not real big on, you know, my dad died this last June. So when somebody else's dad dies, I can look at him and say, oh, I know how you feel. I don't know how you feel. Maybe you had a, a... I had a great relationship with my dad. Maybe you had a terrible relationship (laughs) with your dad. And there's all these regrets or whatever that are going on. I don't know how you feel. Yeah. I can sympathize with how you feel though. Yeah. And I have some answers for you with that. And that's why I would tell that story. And it, I never told it because I wanted sympathy, because I don't deserve sympathy for it. It's not me that needs sympathy for family. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just one of those where just so, so hard. And I can, you know, I mean, I still remember everything about the day. Yeah. Yeah. I can, you know, I can tell you the date, you know, I can tell you a lot of things and it still hurts, you know, 15 years later. Yeah. You know, Yeah. it, it, it just still really hurts. And, uh, that, that hurt hasn't, I mean, it's subsided and it's numbed. But when you think about those things, it still really hurts. Yeah, And, you know, it's just, you know, like I said, and the other side of it is, you know, know, it's not, you know, you told me you were going to ask about it and I said that's because you wanted to make me cry and uh, (laughs) you said you really didn't want to do that. But it's one of those where I continue to talk about it with people when people ask, because at some point in time, somebody may reach out to me and say, Oh my God, we had somebody die on an event and I don't know what to do. Yeah. Can I talk to you? Absolutely. You can talk to me, you know, but the other side of it is I don't have all the answers because I don't, you know, but I'm a, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to what's going on with you more so than a lot of other people. True. You know, but, yeah. So there you are. <laughs> there you are.
0: Yeah, for sure. So if there was anything that, I guess, being a youth pastor and now you're, you're, you you're have your own business and yep. and doing all that, um, what, what would you tell, I guess, a, a youth pastor that's been doing it a while and then a youth pastor that is maybe just starting or a pastor or,
2: yeah, um, love what you do. Do. Stop trying to be someplace else. Grow where you're planted. Um, I, uh, I I always used to. Um, we went to um, when I first started in like I don't. Know, I started. I graduated from from Raymond in 1996. And uh, on Monday, I, I graduated on Friday night, and on Monday morning, I walked into the office. They hired me. Um, like a month and a half before we graduated to be one of the youth pastors. And uh, it was super scary, (laughs) really scary to me. Um, Honestly, every time I opened my mouth, there were times I didn't know whether I was going to talk or throw up. I was so nervous and scared. And uh, it meant a lot to me. And I remember we went to a youth conference in Chicago, and uh, we were at uh, Willow Creek. They did the at that point people weren't doing a lot of big youth conferences and theirs was big. Yeah. And everybody thought it was crazy that, you know, a you know, a non denominational kind of charismatic church went to Willow Creek, which was at the time the ever popular speaker friendly kind of church. But they were doing <laughs> stuff that was awesome. Their youth ministry was spectacular. And we sat down at a I sat down at a table there that we had a breakout session. And I'll just tell you right now, if you think that children's pastors get no respect, be a junior high youth pastor. Because <laughs> you're you on the on the pecking order of of respect in the church, that's the bottom. The yeah. children's pastor has more respect than you do. And so when I sat at this table, everybody was sitting around talking and everybody wanted to know numbers. How many of you guys run? How many of you guys run? How many people do you got? And I and somebody asked me and I, you know, they asked for I friend, you know, I'm at a church in Tulsa and you know I'm junior high youth pastor. And then at that point everybody kind of ignored me for a while. <laughs> and then they came they come back and I've got a point to this. And they start talking about numbers. And one of the guys there is like, Man, we're running, you know, like forty five kids and he's just going on and on and on about it. And they're in a small church. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're, he's in a church of like 200 people. He's running, you know, 45 kids, which the percentages on that are enormous, you know, yeah. and uh, which is awesome. And uh, one of the guys looked and said, How many you you run? I said, I don't usually like to talk about numbers. And they all kind of laughed, like, Ah, Junior High Youth Pastor. And this was when we were at our, I mean, Rayma was still, I mean, we were, we had a lot of people. Yeah. We had six Hundred kids in the youth group at that point. I had two hundred and fifty in the junior high. Wow, and uh, <laughs> and more than that, that. I mean, we regularly had two hundred plus kids showing up for service in of sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And uh, two hundred and thirty-six of just teenage or junior hires, not including adults in the room. Two hundred and thirty-six was the most that I'd ever had. Yeah. And they they badger and badger and badger me. And I finally looked at them and said, you really want to know? And they said, yeah. And I said, I'm a junior high youth pastor and I've got 350 kids on the junior high roster. We've got 600 and whatever, 70 between on the roster, not to come every time. We've got, you know, we were banging on the door at six, 700 kids. Yeah. And that guy that was so excited about the 40 or 45 kids that he had his face just fell and he's like man I really thought I was doing something and I said dude you're killing it yeah I said we've got six we'll call it 650 kids in a church that has 8,000 members we're not even running 10 percent yeah Now, not all of those people were coming to church. We realistically had a church of about 4,500, 5,000 people that came regularly. So we were a little over the 10% mark. But I said, you're running, you know, whatever. I'm not that good on percentages, but, you know, you're running, you know, 25% of Sunday morning service. If you've got 50 kids, you're running 200. Is that 25%? And uh, I go, you're killing it. And then I looked at him and said, because I had more than everybody at the table. These are the same guys (laughs) that were making fun of me 15 minutes before because I'm the junior high youth pastor. Yeah. (laughs) Now I'm a youth pastor. God to these guys because we got all these kids. Yeah. And those people were all about numbers. And what I would tell you guys is don't get so wrapped up in your numbers. Yeah. And don't give me that BS. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <You're good. laughs> oh, well, We count everybody because everybody counts. You count everybody because it makes you feel good. That's yeah. why you count everybody. Yeah. That's why. And if it frustrates me to no end on that, when these, you know, everybody's like, oh, "Yeah, we count everybody because everybody counts. No, you don't <laughs> because you didn't know it when somebody left. Yeah. You don't care. True. As long as your number is higher, you don't care who's there. Yeah, You just want a number. And what I will tell you is, love people, love where you're at, grow where you're at, enjoy what you're doing, and when God asks you or tells you to move on, go to where he tells you to go and love that. Yeah, Because we spend so much time wishing that we were someplace else that we never enjoy where we are. Yeah, And I'm guilty of that. I'm not a destination. I'm not a enjoy the ride guy. I'm a destination guy. Yeah. And that was always hard for me. And uh, I don't know, I, you know, it's, it's one of those, somebody, you know, you see this, and I've read it and a lot of times, you see it posted online, you know, meme-y kind of thing that, you know, I really, you know, where they say, I wish that somebody, I wish I would have known that I was living in the good old days when I was living in the good old days. Yeah. And there are so many times that we look at all of the bad and we never look at the good. Yeah. And those are the things that I would tell people, whether you're a youth pastor, a pastor, a children's pastor, a volunteer, you know, a a volunteer youth pastor, whatever, part-time, by vocation, whatever you want to call it. Enjoy the moment and live in that moment because what you are doing is life changing to people.
1: Yeah,
2: and I I left Rama on my last service was October twenty sixth of two thousand and twelve. All right. Yeah. I'm coming up on being gone for ten years, and I still have people that I had in in junior high, or once they went up to high school, I had them in because Britt and I youth pastored everybody together. Britt was a high school pastor. I was the department head in the junior high youth pastor, but we were the pastors yeah. of all of them. He was a junior high youth pastor just as much as I was the high school youth. But you know what I mean? It yeah. was us. And it is so fun and cool to hear people that graduated 15, you know, whatever odd years ago, 18 years ago, come back to you or send you a message on Facebook about something that meant so much to them that you did. And it's eternal. Yeah, And we lose sight of that in the grind. And you know of you know, we don't have this or we don't have that or we need this or we need that or you know, the the issues and the you know just the the drama and everything else of ministry that goes on and uh we just forget to have fun and enjoy it. You know? Yeah and, and that's what I would tell everybody. And it doesn't matter what you do. I don't care if you're a, you know, you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad or you're, you know, I don't care what you do. Whether you're out working, in, you know, a job or doing what you're doing, enjoy it because it's not going to last. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know. The the bad time isn't going to go on forever, even though in the midst of it it looks like it is. Read the Old Testament, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. You know, I mean, it may have gone on for a, a while, but it eventually came to an end. Yeah. And uh, and you know, as I would tell people all the time, you know, um, you know, when you're wandering in the desert, learn your lesson. Yeah. Otherwise, you got to go around again. And, uh, learn your lessons, take your lumps, admit when you're wrong, apologize when you need to apologize and, uh, and enjoy what you can with it, with the people that you're doing it with, because they're, everybody's not always going to be there. Yep. And, uh, I, you know, I had the time of my life doing what I did. Um, I'm having the time of the life. I own a concrete company, you know, we do concrete, you know, we pour concrete and, I work with my son, which I never thought would happen.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: And, it, dude, it's the greatest thing in the world. I yeah. love it. I love working with him. I've got a great – my, my kids are awesome. I've got a son and a daughter. They're great. I love them. I love working with my son. Yeah. And uh, we don't get along every day. We get along most every day. And with and, and the moments that we don't get along are, are brief. And yeah. uh, I love living in this moment with him. I love it. And, uh, and 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 I like I said, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, just live in that moment and enjoy it. Yeah. And just remember at some point, 10 years from now, you're going to look back and wish you could live that moment again. And that's it. So I would tell you to enjoy the people that you're walking through that moment with. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and live it up, man. Yeah. You know, kill it. Wear that moment out.
0: (laughs) Yep. Amen to that. And I think this is probably an awesome time to end the podcast, but something I didn't tell you that we do is that we always ask our guests to pray us out of the
2: podcast. I can do that. (laughs) I can do that. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, we come to you in the precious name of Jesus. Uh, Father, I thank you for the time that, that we've had together as a group, as uh, far apart as we may be. Father, I thank you for a moment that we were all able to be together. And uh, Lord, that you you hear the, you know, the, the cries of all of the hearts of the people that are out there. Father, I pray the words that, uh, you know, that were spoken and the stories that were told will uh, be helpful to people that are out there. Father, we pray for the pastors and the, the, that are out there, the youth pastors, the youth workers. Father, anybody that, that's listening to this, Father, we pray for all of them. Uh, Lord, bless them. Father, remind them of all of the good things that you've done for them. Father, show them that there's hope for tomorrow. Uh, Father, bring joy to them today. And, uh, Father, help them, uh, strengthen them to do the best at what they're doing. Father, we, we pray that you know that that they commit themselves to you and commit the work of their hands to you. And uh Father, we thank you that when we do that you bless it. And uh Father, we pray blessings upon each and every one of them. We ask that you give them wisdom, insight, and understanding. Father, give them answers to hard questions. Uh Father, give them compassion and and uh and wise words uh to the to the people that they come in contact with. Father, we thank you for this and we pray you we praise you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Amen.